It never fails. Every time I go to a party or a celebration of any type, there is always somebody there who tries to ruin everything. Just like this morning, Satan tried his best to ruin it, and <laughs> didn't happen. <laughs> Since we won't have the screen above me and behind me this morning, I am going to ask that you do grab a Bible. If you do not have one, there's one in the pew in front of you. But I'm asking you to turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 24 as we talk about the glorious day that our Savior raised from the grave. This has become a holiday that has been celebrated all over the world. Since, the time, since Jesus has been resurrected for over 2,000 years, we have been celebrating this day. And today we are here to celebrate our risen Lord and Savior. I'm not going to go on too much of an intro on this this morning because I really want to get into the meat of the text of what it's saying. Because what we're going to be talking about today deals with a lot of the commercialization of Easter that we see today. Did y'all know that today there will be over 250 million Reese's Cup eggs ate. I will eat at least 20 of them. I can promise you that. But not only that, not only that, it, I was surprised at some of the statistics that I've seen. There will be over 300 million eggs died and hid today at some point in time. And you know what's funny is a hundred million of them will be found by lawnmowers next week. <laughs> Honestly, we are here to celebrate our risen Lord and Savior, but over time there have come a lot of misconceptions about what we are celebrating today. This happened right after Jesus rose from the grave. And when I say right after Jesus rose from the grave, the very day that Jesus rose from the grave, there were misconceptions about what had taken place. So if you have your Bible with me, don't worry about that. It's all right. It'll be all right. If you have your Bible with you, Luke chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to read quite a bit, so bear with me, but I really want y'all to follow with me. Starting in verse 13, it says, And behold, two of them, two believers, were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. Now let me explain something. When they say that very day, they're talking about the day that our Lord Jesus rose from the grave which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's about a two-hour trip by foot. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were there talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached them and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these things that you are exchanging with each other as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who is unaware 
of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, being Jesus, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people and how the chief priest and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it has, this is the third day. That's very important to uh, note. This is the third day since these things happened. But also, some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the, this morning, and they did not find his body, they came saying what they had seen, uh, that they had also seen a vision of an angel who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had also had said. But him, being Jesus, they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them all the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going to go further. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread. He blessed it, and he broke it. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And immediately, he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? While he was explaining the scriptures to us. Church, does your heart still burn? Let's pray. Father, this morning, we come to you in absolute victory. We come to you in victory because the battle has already been won. Our greatest enemy, our greatest problem, our greatest suffering is finished. It was finished on the cross of Calvary, Lord. And it was shown to us as proof by your resurrection from the grave. But this morning, Lord, there are still a lot of things that we battle with, that we've misunderstood, that we even misconceive 
about who you are, about why you come, about your death and even in your resurrection. And this morning, Lord, as we examine the life of these two gentlemen who encountered you on this road, I pray, Lord, that we would encounter you also. That we would encounter the true Jesus, the one who died for our sins, the one who is victorious over death and the grave. And Father, as we look into this scripture, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what it is that you are saying to us, even though this was written almost 2,000 years ago, this word still speaks to us today. Father, help us to celebrate the victory that we have in you. But Father, I also ask that you would make our hearts burn again. It's all these things I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that over 500 people, 500 people witnessed Jesus between his resurrection and between his ascension into heaven. Today, we're going to focus on two of these individuals. One gentleman by the name of Cleopas and the other guy, we have no idea who he is. They were on a road traveling to a village that nobody really knows anything about. All of us have heard about the story of Emmaus, the Emmaus Walk. Some people have even been on a little adventure or a little discipleship um, thing that takes place where they help you to have an encounter with Christ through a walk like these two men had. But there's a couple of things that we really need to see in this scripture and understand about Cleopas and his friends. And while there isn't much known about them, the village, or anything else, there is a lot of detail in what Cleopas says to Jesus that even applies to us today. Cleopas and this gentleman, they were sitting or walking along this road and they were talking about many things. They were talking about Jesus' ministry. They were talking about the betrayal. They were talking about the hearing that Jesus went before. They were talking about the torture, the crucifixion, the burial. And now they're even talking about the speculation that Jesus has rose from the grave. When Jesus comes alongside them, they don't recognize him. They don't even know who he is. But Jesus is quick to recognize some things with these two gentlemen. He's quick to recognize their despair. He's quick to recognize their confusion. He's quick to recognize this crushed hope that is within them. And brothers and sisters, if Jesus was here with us today, he would be quick to recognize those same things in each and every one of us. We live in an absolute broken world, a world filled with desperation, 
a world filled with absolute confusion, with no understanding to all the evil that is around us. We live in a hopeless world where there seems to be no sense of purpose. We even live in an information-saturated world, which only makes the confusion even more. And one of the biggest problems that we have today is the same thing that Cleopas and his friend had. They didn't recognize Jesus. Why don't you think about that for a minute? If Jesus was here in the person today, if he was sitting among us, would we recognize him? Would we honestly recognize who he is? Would we honestly recognize what he has done? And would we acknowledge him for who he is? You know, the first thing that came to my mind when I was reading this is they're walking along this road, having this conversation, and all of a sudden Jesus just comes and starts walking with them. And they don't recognize him. How do you not recognize Jesus? Help me with that. How do you not recognize the King of Kings? But let's put it in the context of what they're dealing with. How do you not recognize someone at that time who is considered a local celebrity? You know, Blairsville, we have our own local celebrities. Last night, I thought it was awesome. Last night, I got to watch the race at Bristol, the truck race, and I got to see Jonathan Davenport racing the race. And I thought, how awesome that is, that one of our local boys is racing in this race. And he's even going to race in another race today. But he's not the only local celebrity we've got. Many of y'all remember Joseph Mancuso. Man, that boy was a heck of a quarterback, was he not? That boy could see everything. He could envision what's going on in the field. And he was one of the greatest quarterbacks that I think Union County has ever seen. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, QB1. <laughs> You're getting there. <laughs> but this year, he went to the Colts camp. I'm not sure how things went, but... He actually has potential of possibly going on to the NFL. But we've got another local celebrity who was actually in our church for a long period of time. Many of you remember Kyle Morlock when he was here. Kyle Morlock started off at Shorter University in Rome, Georgia, and now has been signed to play with FSU. Not sure why he picked them, but okay. But regardless, this is another phenomenal player that we've had come out of our area. But you wanna know something funny? We've got even more local celebrities. A while back, I was in Louisiana uh, when I was working for my wife's father. Um, we went to this little restaurant called the Slidell Bullpen. It's no longer there no more. You know what I'm talking about. It's no longer there no more. It was absolutely devastated during Katrina. But when I went into this place, it was a great restaurant. They had a low country bull, man. And I'm talking like you would never believe. You would go in, you'd, there was only one thing on the menu, low country bull. You went in on the menu, you got your drink and they dumped a big pot of all this stuff in front of you. And I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the waiter. 
And me and the waiter's talking about where we're from. And I told him, I said, I'm from Blairsville, Georgia. He said, you're from Blairsville, Georgia. I said, yeah. And he looked at me and said, do you know Farrell Rogers? <laughs> I know some of you are new to the area. And some of you have not yet got to meet Farrell Rogers. But at some point in your life, you will meet Farrell Rogers as long as you stay in Blairsville. He's infamous. He's known all over the country. I had another group of friends who were in Ohio at a dirt race. And the same thing was asked to them then. Do you know Farrell Rogers? <laughs> See, when it comes to local celebrities, it is easy for us to recognize them. Even, not even, even the ones that aren't local. All of us have these celebrity figures in our life that we follow. But one thing you really got to put in context here is Jesus was infamous in this region. Everyone knew about Jesus. Many of them had saw his miracles. Many of them had saw what he was doing. They had heard his sermons. And many of him Many of them had already recognized him as the Son of God. When we start off the scripture, it says, two of them. The reason this is extremely important is because when it is saying two of them, what they are talking about is two followers of Christ were walking along a road, talking about everything that had happened to Jesus. Jesus walks up alongside of them, starts talking to them, and they don't even recognize him. This is the very same problem that we have today. So why is it why is it that not only Cleopas and his friends were not able to recognize Jesus, but why is it that we sometimes are not even able to recognize Jesus? And it all comes down to one thing. Misconceptions. Misconceptions about who Jesus is. Misconceptions about why Jesus died. Misconceptions about why he came. And even misconceptions about his resurrection. Go back and look at it with me real quick. Go back to verse 18. And let's look at what Cleopas says. And let's dissect this for a minute. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which had happened here these days, think about what he's saying. Think about what he is saying. He just asked Jesus if he knew about the crucifixion. That's a pretty profound statement, isn't it? He just, I wonder if later on in life, if he went back and kicked his, I can't even kick myself in my hind end no more. That's what happens when you turn 45. Leg don't move like it used to. But I wonder if he went back and kicked himself in the hind end for saying that. 
Once he realized who it was, I wonder if he had that moment where he, man, you was an idiot. You just asked Jesus if he knew about the crucifixion. You just asked Jesus if he knew about everything that had taken place that week. But let's look a little bit further into what he misconceived about Jesus. In verse 19, he goes on to say, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet. I've got to a point to where I can't watch preachers on TV anymore. And the main reason that I can't watch preachers on TV is because of the garbage that they are selling about Jesus. They are selling a version of Jesus who looks nothing like the Bible says. And they use words all the time like Jesus was. And you know what's bad? Is we picked up on this language too. How many of us have said, Jesus was the Son of God? I probably said it from this pulpit. Not even thinking about what I have said. Some of you have said, Jesus was the Savior of the world. I've even said it. Not even thinking about what I have said. But if you think about what the English dialogue is about the word was, you know that it is past tense. I was young at one point in time. That no longer exists. I was able to see my toes <laughs> at one time. Still can a little bit, praise Jesus. But that is starting to no longer exist. And brothers and sisters, when it comes to Jesus, the word was can only be used in one context. Jesus was dead. But three days later, he is alive. He wasn't alive he is alive. And see, even in our language, we think that is so small. We think that is so insignificant. But even in our language, when we talk about Jesus was, we're talking about a version of Jesus back then. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is alive. Amen. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus still is intercessing on behalf of you and me and a lost and dying world around them. Jesus is here. He wasn't here. He is here. He will always be here till the end. He doesn't exist on the scene when he comes to the earth and ceased to exist when he left this earth. He is. And that's a misconception that we have totally got to get rid of. It's not Jesus was. It's Jesus is. Cleopas thought Jesus was nothing more than a prophet. 
who was mighty in works and even in the, in, in the word. But when it come down to it, there was a lot more to Jesus than what they knew. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot more to Jesus than what me and you know too. The next misconception was about his death. Notice who Cleopas said killed Jesus. He says that the chief priest and the rulers delivered him to a sentence of death and crucified him. Does that sound accurate? To a point, yes. To a point, yes, it is accurate. Jesus was taken before a council. And me and Aaron were even talking about it this morning, about who possibly could have been in that council. I never even thought about it till later the, earlier this week. And I couldn't help but wonder, do you think Paul was in on that council as well? Because Paul was one of the Sadducees. Paul was a Pharisee high up. And there is a good chance that Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, even if he wasn't there, he knew all about it. He knew that that sentence was coming. But one thing that we have got to understand, all of us have got to understand this, is that the chief priest, that council, even Pontius Pilate didn't kill Jesus. You say, Scotty, how's that? Because you can't kill God unless God allows it to happen. Think about that for a minute. Because when he's before Pontius Pilate, he says this thing to Pontius. The only authority that you have is the authority that has been given to you. And not only that, you don't even have the authority to kill me unless I give it up myself. The real thing that killed Jesus was our sin. You remember that little lie that you told in first grade? That's what killed Jesus. You remember that eraser that you stole in second grade? That's what killed Jesus. Do you remember when you told your parents that those D's and F's on your report card meant doing fine, doing fine, doing fine? <laughs> Mom's gonna kill me because I did tell her that. <laughs> but those little things are what killed Jesus. And see, that's one of the misconceptions we have about the death of Christ. The death of Christ had nothing to do with Pontius Pilate. The death of Christ had nothing to do with the Pharisees, Sadducees, or even the religious council. The death of Jesus Christ had only to do with the severity of our sin and the punishment to which sin is to be dealt with. This week... Most of us observed the day that 
we've acknowledged as the day that Christ died on the cross. We call it Good Friday. And I'm not trying to give you heartburn about this, but this is another cultural thing that we've allowed to come in, which has caused us some misconceptions. Because I don't know about you, and I don't know where you learned math, but there's no way to get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday. You ever thought about that? There's no way. And I'm not going to chase this rabbit, but I, uh, I could. But it is more likely that Christ died either on Wednesday or Thursday and not Friday. But at the same time, we have observed this day as the day that we acknowledge his death on the cross. How many of you actually thought about it? How many of us actually took time on Friday to think about it? Have we even sit back to think about why it's even called Good Friday? Or if we want to be technical about it, Good Thursday or possibly even Good Wednesday? To understand that whole word of good, we have to go back to the very beginning. The very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And he said that it is good. He created the expanses, separating the waters from the air and the waters from the sea. And he called them good. He caused land to push up out of the water. And he called that land. He caused a lesser light and a greater light to rule the night and the day. And he called those lights. He created every animal. Every animal. And he called those animals. He created man and woman. In his likeness. And he called them. Do you know what the Hebrew word for good is? For us to really translate it, it means perfect. With that in mind, think about this. The death of Jesus Christ was perfect for the redemption of mine, yours, and everybody who acknowledges him as Savior's sin. It was perfect. It was acceptable. Isaiah even said it pleased God to bruise him. The reason we celebrate Good Friday is not just about what Jesus did, but it's about the sin that he took on from us and he made the perfect atonement so that we could one day go back to that state of good and perfection. This is a misconception of why Jesus died that we have really got to recognize. The third misconception, and I won't go through these real quick. 
The third misconception is why he came. Cleopas says right there that we hoped he was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. Let me put this real quick and I'm going to move on from this. In redeeming Israel, what Israel was wanting was redemption from a political regime. They were wanting to be saved from a political regime that had taken over their country. Let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in for a minute. Because we are not far from that point right now. But not only did they think that he just come to redeem them, they did not understand why the resurrection had to take place. And I'm going to try to make this as simple as can be. On the day that Christ paid the debt for our sins, using some modern day terminology, Jesus swapped a credit card. Whenever you swap a credit card, what do you get in return? Sometimes you get a receipt. Every time you swap a credit card, you get a receipt. And why do you get that receipt? That receipt tells you everything that has been paid. And to put this in the simplest terminology that I can, if the cross was the debt paid, the resurrection is the receipt proven that it is finished. The resurrection is the promise that we too will rise from the dead. That our sin no longer holds to us. It is our proof that he is who he said he is. And it is all the proof that we need. With all the misconceptions that we have, just about these four points... It's easy for even me to say that I don't know that I would recognize Jesus if he was here with us today. Cleopas didn't recognize him. And I can't prove it. I really can't prove it. But this question came to my mind. When Cleopas's eyes are opened, what did Jesus do just before that? Broke the bread. Was Cleopas at the Last Supper? I don't know. And I'm not trying to lead to speculation. But in this one instance, he recognized who Jesus was. So what's it going to take for us to recognize who Jesus is? In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a bunch of churches. And one of these churches that he's talking to is a church with many misconceptions. It's the church of Laodicea. It's a church that thinks they're rich. It's a church that thinks they're good. It's a church that thinks that they have everything worked out. And Jesus dumps a hard reality on them. You're poor. You're wretched, 
And really, you have nothing to do with me. But what opens my eyes the most to this is what Jesus says to that church right after that. Listen to this. Listen to this. In verse 20 of chapter 3 in Revelation, it says this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also have overcome and sat down with my father at his throne. Cleopas and his friend did nothing but simply had a little talk with Jesus. And you know what happened? They wanted more. When you have a true, authentic encounter with Christ, it leaves you wanting more and you know what it also causes your heart to burn all week long all week long I have been praying to have an Emmaus encounter I mean it has been on the forefront of my mind every day this week Jesus help me to encounter you And you know what happened? I would get busy. One of the boys started throwing up again for crying out loud. We had to go to Rock City. My word. My sister come up from Sarasota. Help me, Jesus. Every time I would pray this, I'd get sidetracked. And this morning, I woke up, as I always do, very early on a Sunday morning. But I woke up with an extremely heavy heart. And I'm not going to lie to you. I've got a lot of concerns right now. Not about me. About situations going on around me. I've got a lot of questions. Anybody know where I'm at there? I've got a lot of questions about what's going on. And I really want some direction. I've got a lot of confusion. I've got a lot of confusion going on in my life because of, again, all the circumstances. And I was having a moment with God. Any of y'all ever have those moments? And then it dawned on me. You're having a moment with God while the sun is rising. And at the same time, Christ would have been rising from the dead. And out of the corner of my eye, I see something. Now, it's still dusky, guys. And I told y'all, I do not like the dark. At all. But I seen something. It was small. But it was coming towards me. The first thing that went through my mind is, dear Lord, one of those cats around our house has had kittens. (laughs) And it's going to run after me. 
But the closer it got, the more I realized, oh, that's too big to be a kitten. Dang it, it's a full-grown cat. And Colton really wants a cat. But when it got about five feet from me, I realized what it was. It was a rabbit. No, it was not the Easter bunny. I did chuckle. I said, God, if you're trying to give me a sign, this wasn't what I was looking for. But me and the bunny made eye contact. And that bunny took off running. I mean, he ran right by my feet. And when he finally stopped, he stopped in this wild violet patch that we have. I love these things. I don't want to mow my grass because these wild violets are absolutely beautiful. And the little turd starts eating the violets. <laughs> and I'm sitting there admiring how beautiful these violets are. And all of a sudden, a bird flies right by my face. I cannot make this stuff up. I told Jennifer about it. If our dog would have been out there with us, she would have went in a terror. So I see those violets. Forget the bunny. I see that bird. And I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 6. When Jesus is talking about being anxious. And being worried. And I'm instantly reminded... Look at the birds, the one that just flew by your face. Does it have a barn? It doesn't store food, but I take care of its ever need. Look at those violets. Those violets don't worry about anything. They just do their thing. They proclaim my glory. And even all of Solomon's temple was not arrayed in such beauty as these. And yet I take care of every one of their needs. And this morning, I had my Emmaus encounter. No, Jesus didn't pop up right next to me. If he did, I'll be honest with you, I'd have probably run. But in that small voice that he often speaks to me through my heart, he said, today reminds you, I have taken care of your greatest needs and I will continue to take care of you. And something happened. My heart burned. My heart ignited because of that few moments that I spent with Jesus. And you know what? I want more. I want more. I want it every day of my life. I want it every waking moment of my life. I want it for my wife. I want it for my kids. But listen to me. I want it for you.
let me ask you this question. Does your heart still burn? Does your heart still burn? And if not, why? Because it's probably some of the very same things that I deal with. It doesn't burn because this world isn't what you thought it was going to be. Your life hasn't turned out the way that you had it pictured. It doesn't burn because your heart is slow to believe. Just like Cleopas and his friend's heart was slow to believe. But it also doesn't burn because our passion for other things, our passion for other things in life overweigh our passion for Christ. Brothers and sisters, the reason our heart doesn't burn has nothing to do with Christ and it has everything to do with us. And this morning, I want your heart to burn. But I want you to realize how that's going to come about. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road. When's the last time you took time to have a little talk with Jesus? While he was explaining the scriptures to us, when's the last time you allowed Jesus time to explain the scripture to you. And I know for those who've been here for a while, you, you know how heavy I am on this. I feel like there is more power in the word of God and prayer to do something in your life than any word that I can say. But the reason our hearts don't burn is because we depend on Jesus' time on Sundays and Wednesdays only. There are no such things as part-time Christians. Jesus is not a part-time Savior. He paid the price in full. And the only reason our hearts don't burn is because we do not fully devote ourselves to Him. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful through whom you were called to fellowship with us. His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus is faithful to reignite your heart again. But brothers and sisters, you've got to ask for it. Here in a few minutes, you're going to have that opportunity. For some of those, I've got to ask this question. Has your heart ever burned for Jesus? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I get it. Because I was there once too. 
there were Easter Sundays that I was in church and I would hear a sermon and I had no idea what the preacher was talking about. All I knew is he was mad about something. (laughs) And a lot of times I thought he was mad at me. But there was a day, not at a church, not a camp, where God really showed me who he was. God showed me that he was a father to the fatherless. God showed me that he was there for me. And God showed me the sin in my life that had separated me from him. And you know, deep down inside, I wanted to do everything I could to make it right. But the truth of the matter is, there is nothing I could do to make it right. There is nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. No preacher, teacher, pastor can do this. Because this is a work that has to take place in your heart. Jeremiah 23, verse 29 says, Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. And this morning, your heart is a rock. It is a rock because it is hard from all the things that you have allowed yourself to be overtaken by. And I know some of you are saying to yourself, nobody rules me. I used to say the same thing. I used to say the same thing. And then I realized how much lust ruled me. Then I realized how much alcohol ruled me. And then I realized how much drugs ruled me. And I realized somebody was ruling me. And my heart was hard. Ezekiel 11, verse 19 says, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within them, and I will remove their heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. This morning, if your heart has never burned, here's how you do it. First, you acknowledge the severity of your sin. Your sin is what has separated you from God. God did not separate His self from you. You made that choice. But you also need to realize that your sin has a penalty. And that penalty is death. That is the only payment that is seen fit by a righteous and holy God to deal with your sin. But you realize this morning by some of the things that I said this death This death that you need to make your sin right with God 
has already happened. His name was Jesus. He's the Son of God. Perfect, holy, never sinned. Because it took a holy, righteous sacrifice to make atonement for your sin. And this morning, if you will trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, let me tell you what will happen. Your heart will burn. Your heart will burn because of a regeneration that takes place inside of you. Your heart will burn because your sins have been forgiven and you have been justified before God. He has made it just as if you did not sin. And this is the work that only Jesus can do in you. And I know some of you may be thinking, well, if nothing else works, I'll give it a try. But I want to share this with you. And I'm in this. Nothing you try will work. Only Jesus is the answer to your problems. Pray with me. Father, you are holy. You are righteous. You are sovereign. You are great. And you have made a way, Lord, for our hearts to burn. And this morning, Lord, from the believer to the ones who have strayed, to those who have never professed you as Savior. I pray this morning that through the work of your Holy Spirit, you will make their hearts burn. Father, thank you for that encounter that I was able to have with you this morning. And I want it more, God. So I ask that you would help me and all of us to make you the priority of our life. You are everything. And without you, Jesus, we are nothing. And this morning, Lord, we don't celebrate a dead Savior. We celebrate a risen Savior that showed proof of the pavement that he made for our sin. And this morning, Lord, just like I started off, we come to you victoriously because of the battle that you won. Jesus, you are all we need. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. 
We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.